Hey there, my name is Mark McCartney and welcome to the What Is A Good Life podcast. Over the last two years, I've interviewed over 150 people around this question, not to provide you with the universal answer, but to help you to find and define your own answer to this question. On the 39th episode of the What Is A Good Life podcast, I'm delighted to have Aidan McCullen as our guest. Aidan is the host of the Innovation Show podcast and author of the book Undisruptible. He is also a transformational consultant, leading workshops and giving keynote speeches, an adjunct professor at Trinity College Dublin, and was previously a professional rugby player. In this episode, Aidan shares his journey of transformations and transitions, both in his professional evolution from rugby player to author, podcast host, and consultant, and in his philosophical shifts, encompassing various outlooks and profound learnings. We delve into his perspectives and experiences of overcoming setbacks, developing empathy for the diverse ways in which we all experience the world, and nurturing the ability to respond thoughtfully rather than reacting impulsively. Throughout our conversation, Aidan highlights the significance of paying attention and listening to the signs and feedback that life is sending us. Whether you find yourself navigating one of life's troughs or are feeling apprehensive about the next steps in your journey, this episode offers a wealth of perspectives and inspiration for your contemplation. While Aidan's unique blend of theory and metaphor infused with personal realizations and experiences makes his thoughtful insights highly relatable and applicable to your own life. Look, I took a hell of a lot from this conversation. Aiden seems to me to be a rare individual in terms of how much attention he's paying to life's feedback and how much he's willing to adapt and respond to that. So if you enjoy this episode, please like, share and subscribe on YouTube. And if you're on the podcasting platforms, please leave a review as I'd greatly appreciate your support at this stage of my podcasting journey. So without further ado, the 39th episode of the What is a Good Life podcast. Aidan, thank you very much for joining me here on the What is a Good Life podcast today. As I mentioned to you in our little pre-chat there, I've been following your work for quite some time on LinkedIn, the Thursday Thought, um, and your podcast as well. So um, you're someone who I see who looks at life through very many different lenses. Uh, So I was very excited to have this conversation with you today. Pleasure. Great to be with you, Mark. So Aidan, as I tend to kick these things off, it's with the question of, is there a question you're trying to answer as you move through life? We're going to be here for a while, man. <laughs> so the, the question I am I, dealing with, I think, is a question we all get to, which is, what am I here to do? Like, what's my, what's my task in this, if you believe in karma, in this instance of life that I'm going through? What am I learning? Why have I had an issue with that? Why does that type of not person, but that type of character keep cropping up in my life. What are they trying to teach me? And I tend to to look, and I didn't always look at it this way. I tend to look at life now and go, what was that about? You know, so this concept of metacognition, which is thinking about thinking and catch myself in the act of falling off the horse from the behaviors that I, I intend to display or the person I hope to be when I lose my temper, when I think ill of somebody else, when maybe I'm not as happy for somebody else's success that I should be. I go, what the, what's that about? What, why? Yeah. And I think th- the thing about that, getting to a point of being able to ask those questions is, is an extreme privilege. You only are able to do that if you have a certain amount of comfort in your life. And the biggest thing you mentioned all the lenses from doing the show i've been doing my own show for nearly seven years reading a book each week interviewing the author writing about it 
And the biggest lens that I've got from that is empathy to, to, you can't judge someone. You have no idea what they're going through. You have no idea what just happened five minutes ago, a year ago, five years ago, five generations ago in their family and how that's impacting their behavior. So that's really, there's a, it's, it's a huge question to ask me. So that's kind of, if I step back each, each frame and go, what's going on? It's ultimately to kind of go, what's the bigger picture here? Yeah, that, but that's a, to start off with the opening sentiment, then that's a, that's a huge question. Like what, what am I, what am I here to do essentially? Has, how has that evolved for you in terms of even that being the question? Well, I think uh, since you're a child, I mean, you, you congratulations on your, your new addition to the world. <laughs> Um, I think what happens is you start off life. We know this. You start off life and you're you're at a point of selfishness because it's about survival. It's all about you. And then if you're lucky, you evolve and you start to realize, oh, there's other people here. Their opinion counts. They matter as well. And this is obviously natural biology as you grow older. But then you start to kind of look outward and kind of go, how do I fit in the world? And this is kind of the identity crisis in your teens, maybe, or later for some people. And then it, it becomes about setting your stall out or setting yourself up in the world. Unless you're, you know, you come across some friends in school when you're growing up and they're reading philosophy books, reading uh, Stoics, Marcus Aurelius, and you're kind of going, what a weirdo that kid is. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and now you realize they were generations ahead they were like decades ahead of you were so i think I, I i went through that natural evolution of life of kind of all about me start then to interact with other people start to give them the stage for a certain period understand what's going on in their lives and i've got to a stage now where because i'm very lucky i've had multiple lives if i put it that way different identities like you have and enjoy them and moved on and not lingered on them just kind of moved on went that was great what's next and i think at the moment from a a, a universe perspective my my goal is and it's i don't always achieve this though is to go how can i ultimately serve and, and offer a service and i think that's what the writings about, for example, or the, or even the podcast, because the podcast for me, I, I get many people writing to me or asking me for advice about the podcast. And usually one of the things they ask is going, yeah, you have a sponsor for your podcast. How do I get my podcast sponsored? And I go, what episode are you on? They go, I haven't even started it yet. <laughs> I go, dude, your, your goal is all wrong. You, you got to start with a, a, a really compelling why for you like you know this man you, you do this for you first and this is slightly selfish in that and what I, what I mean by for you is not that it's serving you but that you are ultimately interested in it because that gravitational pull to do it every week to show up and do the work needs to be so more much more powerful than the eventual outputs of what you get back and uh, there's a saying that your your why needs to be bigger than your try or else your excuses will be. So you'll yeah. always make an excuse and kind of go, oh, I'm too tired this week or it's not important enough this week. And then you'll take your 
your excuse or is Napoleon Hill the the great author self-help original kind of self-help author he said you will always create an alibi for yourself and I think that when you when you have a genuine reason to do it every week whatever that is in your life that you will show up and do the work and you won't shirk the responsibility you will be more disappointed with letting yourself down than anyone else because that's the most important thing and you'll show up on the the Friday night when it's lashing rain you'll do the work when you don't want to and ultimately that all comes back to you in a really positive way and I think people have sensed that from you that authenticity of doing it for the right reasons you know Aidan when you said you mentioned that the universe and you also said what am I here to learn like even if you're someone's popping up in your life and they're maybe they could be quite irritating and you're taking this lens of <laughs> you know what are you they know them? <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> but you know this sense of uh what am I here to learn and you also said the idea of falling off the horse I, that's a very <laughs> it's a very f- uh, frequent experience like I okay I've set out my stall and this occurs and now I realize that it's not this person's problem this is it's not to be too stoic but it's my reaction okay Mm -hmm. this is this is what I'm playing with has that been just even the use of those terms like what am I here to learn in a karma sense or even the word universe and that always kind of gets my antenna going up a little bit is that is that like is there is there a spiritual belief brewing underneath this or or how would you even kind of describe I wouldn't I, I wouldn't call it um I was yeah I suppose you can call it spiritual the reason I use the word universe is because I don't adhere to the concept of just one religion and I and I'm not generally I'm not call it religious as in I'm not I don't religiously go to a practice on a regular basis at all my my different approach on it is probably more actually I'll I'll give you the root of this so when I was younger when I was in my teens my family was quite religious go to mass say the rosary like many Irish families did at, at six o'clock and you know in the weekday whatever it was and I even went through a stage of actually thinking that I might go in and become a priest and stuff like that so this this was like young like I mean eight nine ten maybe a little bit older and then I started to notice that my family would go to the church and all these kind of things but yet not be very nice to each other yeah, <laughs> and yeah, I was yeah. like running on like it's more important to be nice to each other than it is to do that like because it just felt even as a kid that felt very hypocritical to me so I then uh, I still went to mass and all that kind of stuff but I I didn't go to I didn't do any more than that but I I was like on I'll I'll try to be a good person and I then I started getting into sport and all that kind of stuff so that kind of took me away from from um any kind of regular mass going or anything like that but fast forward then and I've just been I suppose I I started around the time at the end of my rugby career I was injured quite a lot and I started to read and I started to work on myself and by that I mean I started to read about uh, the mind um I started to read about how you can control you can program your subconscious um, by what you say to yourself and the kind of you formulate you you create like you use the term lenses you put on the lenses through which you see the world so if you're 
a grateful person and you feel grateful for things, you will see reasons to be grateful. And then you're like, you get more things for, to be grateful for because you turn on that part of your brain, the reticular activating system, which is the filter essentially for your brain. So, so I'm a huge believer in that. And, you know, the other thing is when you, when you have that kind of way of seeing the world, you, you almost attract other little sentences or sayings and they stick, they almost become, you know, again, another lens that sticks in place. And like one of the great ones I heard is Confucius. And he said that everybody has two lives. The second life begins once you realize you only have one. <laughs> and those kind of things just are like, wow, like mic drop uh, that really hit home. And, and, and I kind of I think once your antennae are on for those things, you you pick them up. And I have never read deeply um, any book on karma or any certain Tao Te Ching or anything like that. But I, I it constantly I constantly see references to the ancient books, for example, and like they're they're like tested, tried and tested wisdom that has decades in the or centuries in the making and centuries in yeah. the actual practice if you think of even like back to the art of war and those type of books they were like they, they were proven strategic books that were used to to conquer and to protect <laughs> countries for for generations and then somebody writes a real brief self-help book and we expect that to be the magic bullet you know so that so i have this kind of way of kind of going ancient wisdom is wise for a reason and i tend to try and understand it and then actually put it into practice more than just read about it and let it just go out the other ear or, or disappear in my life so th i think that all that if, if you think about all those things and put them in a mixing bowl then i have this kind of concept of there's something bigger going on here and even having that feeling of something's bigger going on the, here and believing that if i do the right thing the right thing will create a better experience for me even but even the act of actually believing that creates it so so those things just and i keep seeing it proven to myself time and time again um little serendipities all the time like going out on my own the first time when i went out my business on my own everybody's fearful of that what if it doesn't work out etc and then just things come out of nowhere for you like and just confirm that you're on the right path and that's the way i see it actually that i didn't see that the biggest turning point for me was when something doesn't go your way it feels devastating in the moment and it feels devastating sometimes for a long time afterwards and you'll regret it you'll rue it i had it with rugby i got injured i got i wasn't selected at times and i held on to these grudges against the coach and myself angry at myself for getting injured and not being able to get out of that in, that recurring cycle of injury and now i see actually well th that was all learning that was all resilience building that was scar tissue building in in mental capacity as well as a physical capacity but it was also teaching me that this is not your thing man <laughs> like right it's like kind of how many times do i have to tell you <laughs> I, do you remember that movie scary movie did you ever see that like the yeah, 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 yeah yeah there's a scene in that and uh 
the lead actress is standing there and she's like there give me a sign shouting up at the heavens and it's like thunder and lightning and trees falling <laughs> and she's yeah, like, yeah, yeah. Sign. <laughs> it was kind of like that I was like kind of going, i keep telling you man this is not your thing so then i went through a period of digital transformation working like you in the big office job fancy car you know armani Xenia suits all this kind of stuff you know thought i was the man for a long time I, well i don't i don't think i ever did i i, I didn't fit quite well in that and i think that's why i worked in innovation and change and transformation because it was always like kind of going there's a better way there's a better way and um then you know this is where i'm saying you're falling off the horses literally by trying things out and it's almost like that's not your horse try this horse <laughs> and then eventually you kind of get there as well and um i kind of I, I i see those times as grateful as well now because i don't have any regrets it's kind of like kissing a few frogs like you, you figure out by knowing what you don't want you figure out what you do and I think that that's an important aspect because then you don't have any regrets you know there's there's something you said that I think is really nice about the becoming aware that there, there's something bigger it almost sounds like it it gives you space even to not take setbacks as personally or even to interpret setbacks in new ways as well. Like even just that sentiment, uh, it seems quite spacious. Like it gives me space to breathe in the face of difficult moments or or the the energy of what may be um, happening in any given point in time. Yeah, so in, in my book, and I wrote, when I wrote about this, I, I when I wrote my book, I was really careful about the book because I didn't want to write anything that I really didn't either not just believe in but had experienced and I wrote the second chapter is called Kintsugi thinking and Kintsugi is this beautiful Japanese art of repairing broken crockery for example so you see for example a bowl that's been smashed and it's joined together rather than actually discarded but they do this beautiful thing Kintsugi just means golden joinery so they have this beautiful lacquer that they add to the cracks so they celebrate the cracks rather than try and disguise them and this is the concept that i really has emerged for me as as the guiding lens which is that you're always going to have these low moments like life is constantly in flux where there's way i, I kind of see it like a wave there's always an up and a down a crest and a trough and when when you see things that way when you're in the trough you see that it's temporary you see that this is capability building for me. This is resilience building. And I'm going to get out of it and I'll, I'll get to ride the, the crest again. And, and it's a concept that I started actually, and I'll, I'll share this, it's a bit cringy maybe, but <laughs> my, my kid, it certainly is for my kids. When my kids were of the age where I bathed them, so you're in that world at the moment. So a little bit older, because obviously I was able to speak to them like this, but... Uh, one of my sons, my older son, had had a, he'd broken his arm and he was going through a bad patch with this, like it was kind of felt de devastated, et cetera, et cetera. And I, I was preparing a bath for his younger brother. And I said to them, I said, hey, boys, I had this idea because I was kind of, you know, the way you're, you're on your knee, your shirt sleeve pulled up and you start swooshing the water to make sure the temperature's right. Because by the way, 
your missus is going to be always on your back about that. Don't burn the baby. <laughs> <laughs> the little, t- little thermometer in the bath. So I was doing that thing, going through that process and then calling the boys. Cause I started seeing when I was swooshing the waves, I had this concept and I was like, look at this. When I swoosh the water here, there's a high and a low of the water at the same time. There's a trough and a crest. And I was like, going like this will sound like, you're you're probably saying to yourself the poor kids here to people listening to us <laughs> i was like oh, that's life that's what life's like there's a high and a low <laughs> and and they're happening at the same time it's yeah, the same yeah. body of water and i was kind of going do you get it boys do you get it and i kind of look at the two of them and my older son's kind of look at me kind of going oh my god kill me kill me now <laughs> and my, my younger son's he's looking at the staring at the water swooshing up and down he's like going will you put me in there and do that? <laughs> and I'm like, oh, I'm sure. So I was like, kind of go, I think they got it. But, but then fast forward a few months later and something happens, my older son, he, and I come home from work. My, I said to my wife, how's everything? I haven't already. She goes, oh, Josh is upstairs. He, he had something happen in school. Go upstairs. Everything okay, buddy. And he looks me straight in the eye and he goes, I just experienced the trough it's okay. And I was like, going, Oh, my God, he got it. And and it was one of those moments where I realized the importance of the visual and the importance of painting a picture or an experience that somebody can, can not only see, but experience for themselves. And then if you do that, it becomes like you said, the lens again, that they see things. And to this day, if I ask the boys about life, They'll talk about the troughs and the crests and like they're only like in there. My youngest has just turned 10 and the other guy's almost 14. And you, you see how important those lenses are if you give them early enough in life, you know, and, and I, I had to learn it like the later in life myself and kind of come up with that concept. But definitely, you know, some some of the things that don't work out for you turn out to be great in retrospect. I mean, we have all had that where we kind of gone thank God I didn't keep doing that thing or thank God I didn't keep going out with that person or thank God I didn't stay in that job. Look at me now. And yeah, you'll go through hard times, etc. But you will never regret backing yourself. You know, uh, I, I absolutely love this, by the way, because I think, you know, if you read enough philosophy from down through the centuries, I don't understand where we've lost the concept that life is indeed suffering a lot of times. And, and I see nowadays people seem to get so lost in the suffering because there isn't a, there doesn't seem to be a wider context or a, a lens through which to view it in which you can appreciate uh, this, not, not to be saying too trite and say this too shall pass, but almost like to check ourselves at the high point to not, you know, to not run away with ourselves and, and, and get too lost in, in delusions of grandeur. But at the same time, then when it is in that, like if you look back on your life long enough, you do see these pulsing and these ebbs mm. and these flows. And it, 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 I think it's a great tool in humility as well. Yeah, and I think like the the, the key, uh, and, and everybody has their own philosophy here. So, I, you know, that's important. I think like you said to me before we came on there, there's no magic bullet here. Everybody has their own formula. I'm, my work is mainly with organizations where I work on culture of innovation. And people are always kind of going, what's the right formula? Should I be looking into the future at 20% and the present at 80%? Or should I have an innovation team over there? And I was like, I need to know 
your culture, your formula for your people, what type of skill sets you have. Like there's so many elements here. And that that goes to each of us on an individual level as well, because one of the ways to your point here to really have empathy for people is to realize that how they even experience fear is so different from you or me. Like you have people who have a like a neuro it's called a neuro signature so i i often think about this like a graphic equalizer that there's a setting of neurochemicals in their brain and that creates a certain way that they experience everything fear sound any kind of sensation some people like to be hugged some people don't some people hate when you kiss their lips some people that like want a fist bump some people hate the sensation of walls others don't so we all have that and then if you actually think about this, and this is actually a fact that people have, uh, like, I call it the fear thermostat. So the way a thermostat works, like in a house, we know this in Ireland, Mark, right? The, <laughs> when, the, when the temperature falls to a certain level, the heat comes on, or when it reaches a certain level, turns off. So whatever your setting is, we all have one of those in our brain for fear, which is the amygdala. So the amygdala for somebody who has experienced traumatic stress in in any way, and this could be a kid having seen maybe violence at, at a young age or abusive parents, their amygdala is bigger. And this happens, this is what post-traumatic stress disorder is, that amygdala becomes bigger and it becomes a lens through which they see the world and their sensation of fear is much higher. So the world becomes a very fearful place. And then if you say that to, say, an entrepreneur, you're quite entrepreneurial, so am I. My wife isn't, though. She has a different setting of the thermostat for, for fear. She sees what I do as crazy. She could never even imagine standing up in an audience. It would make her puke. I love it. I get huge energy from it. And it, it's that idea that you have no idea what's going on in the other person's mind is is so it's so balancing it, it's so important to understand that even when you say something that the message sent does not equal the message received the person depending on their biases their upbringing their first teacher their parents will receive the message in a very different way and that humility to understand that that's the case is something that we should be taught in school. We should be taught these things because that understanding, as the world becomes more and more technologically abled, AI-based, generative AI, all these things people are talking about today, there's a much more importance to be human. The human skills, collaboration, knowing thyself yeah. becomes even more important because if you are happy with what you're doing, you're going to commit to it more, you're going to put more energy into it, and you're going to become an expert at it more. And as a result, then you become more valuable and you're happier. And this is one of the true drivers of the work that I do is if I can contribute some way through my show, through my writing, through podcasts like this, and reach some people to understand that and they become happier, we all contribute to the pot of the world becoming happier. <laughs> and then yeah. you actually get back a happier world as a result of that. So that's, I think, you when you ask the opening question, what's on your mind, you're kind of, like, that's the thing. Like, I do believe that the more people on the planet that are happy, 
the happier the planet becomes. And I'm, what I mean is the experience becomes better for you. And that's helped me deal with pesky neighbors, uh, irritating people, like you say, the characters that just keep appearing all the time. And eventually, it's like Groundhog Day. You eventually kind of go, okay, there's something going on here. I need to actually stop, get off my horse instead of falling off it, and actually understand it a little bit more. Do you, just when you're talking there, not to say that you're you're seeing the signs in life or you're, you know, when you're talking even about swishing the, the bath water there and explaining to your, your sons about the highs and lows, kind of laughing at the idea of myself already reading The Alchemist to my daughter <laughs> um, and looking for the signs in life or, or these kind of things or following your own personal legend, whatever, whatever it may be in that. But it seems like you're quite conscious of what's occurring in your life and very open to... No, I don't mean this in a very clinical way of sensory data or experience, but you're paying attention consistently and that's all like you're allowing your views to be flexible. Like you're allowing your views to be altered as you're, as you're being presented with more, I don't, I don't mean information, but even as you're intuitively feeling your way through life as well, I guess. Yeah, well, you are. I mean, I, I, I do believe, and this is the idea of Kansugi thinking is you fail your way to success and whatever, Whatever, again, whatever that is for you, whatever your version of success is very differently from, from mine. But you need to start with what, what is your version of success. But to your point there, I, I do now, and this is what I was saying, it's a privilege to be have the time and to almost be at a level. It's like I, I, if you even think about computer games, you've gone up the levels, you have the easy levels, then you go up a level, and then you get to the kind of higher levels. And, you know, I've loads of levels to go. But at the level I'm, I've elevated to or I've, I've earned through mistakes and failures and successes. I'm at a level where I'm listening now. And I realized that you one of the biggest things I, and this is a saying I have and I don't know if it exists out there, but I certainly use it, is that when you point the finger, there's three pointing back to yeah, yourself. Yeah. So if if there's a, you have a, if you have a beef with somebody, you kind of go, instead of kind of going, that person's a whatever, arschlock, <laughs> let's say. <laughs> People, many English speakers won't know what that means. Mark's in Germany, so he does. If somebody's like really bugging you, you might ask the question, what is it that I am inciting in that person to behave that way? Or is it me that's actually irritating my wife in a way that she gets annoyed when I do X, Y, or Z? I, I do all those things, X, Y, and Z. Yeah. But, but that's, a, that's, a really, that's a really valuable thing to do. And I don't do it all the time. And sometimes the person is an arschlock or they have narcissistic tendencies or they may just be wired totally and sometimes there are people out there that just are their their experience of life is scarcity mentality where they're going to take they're not givers there are those people out there and, and we need them we need them and, and this is the consuming thinking again I, alan watts who was a great teacher and i do i don't really read the classics mark but i listen to a lot of alan watts lectures and he, he has a great, great lecture. And it's 
I don't think it's called this, but in in the lecture he says, "We need a snake in the garden." Yeah, so he's yeah. talking like going, "Well, why in the Garden of Eden?" <laughs> Whether you believe in that, I, I'm just talking about the Garden of Eden as a story. Of course, if the, in the Garden of Eden where that you had Adam and Eve, why on earth would God or the universe let a snake in? <laughs> like, what the heck's that about? And he's like, he's like, going, "Well, you need to have." black to understand what what's white you need this contrast and without the contrast you, you don't know what's going on and sometimes we need that and this is the whole idea of the confucius quote is that you realize when you when you some type of illness maybe befalls you you realize all the things you took for granted like i, I say this to my kids all the time you're lucky to be able to walk to school and, and they're like kind of going, what do you mean? <laughs> you're like kind of going, to be able to walk to school, like to actually have the ability to walk. I'm lucky to be able to go to the gym. I, I go to the gym most days, but it's mainly to build resilience for the future when I'm 80. But I see myself as lucky to firstly be open to that mentally and to have the discipline to do it. But then second, to be able to actually do, do those exercises is also a privilege. And I think that's just another philosophy or, or way of seeing these things that, that become so important in life. And, you know, all these things we're talking about, all they are tweaks of the exact same thing. They're like, you can see it. It's kind of like the whole glass half full, glass half empty. But like w when you do that, you can't not see it anymore. That's the thing. It's like once you walk through a certain door, you can't go back out the door again. You're there. And if you believe it, I think it's uh, just makes it makes those tough times. You said life suffering. I think that even that term is is misconstrued, misunderstood. Where it's not that it's suffering; it's that there's always bad things happening. Exactly, there are always things that you don't want to happen. But that that, but as you said, it's your reaction to them that is almost more important and there was i studied in france i studied french and i lived in france and the first time i was there was when i was in my 20s and i saw the movie la haine which means hatred a french movie and it starts off with this quote and it says l'important c'est pas la chute c'est l'atterrissage which is just a beautiful line and it means that the important thing is not the fall but the landing <laughs> and i just think that's beautiful that it's about how you land after the fall. And until you until you tweak that, you'll complain. And when you complain, even neurochemically, your brain changes, you see the world as a worse place, you attract people who also complain, I've done that man big time, when I wasn't getting picked, started to moan, then attract other people who didn't get picked, then we moaned together. And then we had pity parties. And then you know, then you didn't get picked because you were a moaner. Yeah. <laughs> and and you're kind of going, that's that happens in organizations. So you see it all the time. And and you understand it. And then you kind of go, okay, well, I'm going to change my view. And the great Wayne Dyer, who who is a brilliant teacher, he said that when you change what you see, what you see changes. And that for me has been just a beautiful way of seeing the world. That that you tweak things and then everything changes. Yeah, I, I think there's there's so much you shared there that I think is is so fundamentally almost important for the sake of not like 
not fixing a life or something like this, but handling life with grace or an ability to see. You, you mentioned Alan Watts. I love the way he describes life as a as a dance, not a journey. Mm. You know, you don't try to get to the end of the song. You know, that's not how we approach life. We try to enjoy the different parts of it. But also even this bit where, you know, when you point a finger at someone and there's three pointing back at you, I find even when I'm, even when I've, call the person an arschlock again in my head and I've justified that they're completely in the wrong. It's so, it can open up so much space just to reflect on like, what is it about them that has caught me? Like, and, and even I ask mm. the question sometimes myself, and I remember having to do this with a corporate lawyer in one of my last roles where I was, I was like, what is it in me that exists in them that is triggering me? Do you know what I mean? And just, it, none of this is to provide a, a silver bullet. I'll still get repeatedly caught in judgments whether they're correct or not but i think so much of what you're describing just gives people space to move in 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 ways in which they may not have been able to move without the perspectives that you're talking about whether it's the black and the white the yin and the yang all of these things it's not about you know just listen to what aiden says and boom your life will change yeah. it's just when you find yourself in these moments if you just if you play with some of these lenses it almost invites options or, or something to that effect. Absolutely. Option, options is the exactly, I was going to say choices, but it, it gives you, a, uh, it gives you, I, I often think about a blank space. It gives you a moment to decide, do you respond or react? Yeah. So reaction would be you literally act to, you do something, I do something. Respond is I take a moment and I pause and I go, Will I or won't I? <laughs> yeah. So we, we we all been through this. You've had a bad day. Come home, about to unload on your other half about that jackass in the office, whatever the arschlock again, and 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 almost poison the rest of your evening, right? So you've straight away changed the energy in the home. And I think when you do the work, and and I'll talk about the work in a second you actually create that blank space. And the, a great way I heard of it, and I don't know who who said this, it wasn't definitely not me, was that you, instead of going into second, third or fourth gear, you put your foot on the clutch. Hmm. And you take that moment to go, do I put it into gear? And the way the, and definitely this works the way and this works physically as well. The way to develop that space is through meditation and mindfulness. You know that you mentioned it earlier on. It gives you that interim space to decide. And it and it's a fleeting, like it's a millisecond of a time. But it doesn't feel that the more you meditate, and I'm not great, by the way, I don't pretend to be great. I, I try and do 10, 20 minutes every day often at sleep and waking so definitely in the morning i find if i do it in the morning i'm I'm in a much better place particularly kind of gratitude um meditations and stuff like that that it does start me off on better in the day it does mean that i won't flip and i used to flip and and it just gives me that moment of kind of go if i flip even though this is annoying and even though I feel I want to be right and say, yeah, <laughs> say yeah, my yeah. peace of mind. I go, what's the win here? Like the win from being right? Like all like that's me being a total that's me being the arch lock. Like just yeah. leave it. Like what's like who's taking score here? 
like you were so leave it man and i think that that when you get to that moment you're, you're kind of going things just get better like relationships get better you also stop being so angry because it doesn't become a habit anymore and then when you then develop to that point you stop you you stop that behavior so this is where where you actually you said earlier on that you can catch yourself in the act of falling off the horse and you can decide well what was that about but if you're actually stuck in that cycle that most people are when they work in big corporates etc and i'm not saying not to i'm i'm saying that oftentimes you get addicted to the stress the complaining about the job the complaining about your coworkers you're stuck in that cycle and when you're when you don't take time for yourself to actually step away and decide you you just never do you never do until it's too late and you're retired and then you kind of go now what was life about and then oftentimes some ill fortune might fall upon you and you kind of go oh my god i worked all that time to get to this point and I was really lucky, Mark, with this when I, I don't know what your story was with, with your own corporate story, but I was working in, in a company and over a period of nine years, I, I put in an extra year of work when I taught, when I told at the end of the time, the amount of extra days, extra hours, uh, weekends I'd worked during holidays, checking emails, all that stuff. I, I told, told it up and I went oh my god i did an extra year in nine years i did an extra year and then i apart from like the the fact that i did that for the company the other thing was like i did that for the company at the expense of my family right and yeah i might have felt you know it was my first job after leaving rugby and i had to build this capability and this skill and this career for myself but but at the end of it when i left Nobody stood up at the going away party and went, hey, let me just raise it last to this guy. Puts in an extra <laughs> year, didn't even ask for pay. Everybody drink to this guy. No, that's not what happens. What happens is kind of going, what are we going to do now that he's gone? You know, we have to replace him. You know, that's the question. Yeah. And, 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 and again, of course it is. It's their business and they need they needed to keep their wheels running. So it's not nobody's fault. That's just reality. And I think that most people don't take that moment to kind of go, ah, oh, whoa, man, what am I doing? Until some issue where the universe steps in and kind of goes, that you're not listening to me here. Take this injury, bang, or, you know, fall off your horse, bang. Listen, this, I keep telling you, this is not for you. And that's really what drives all the work I do. I'm sure for you as well, it's the same thing, work you do in organizations, doing this podcast. You're trying to go, look, there's information out there that might make you have a better life. And if you have a better life, then we all have a better experience. Yeah, that's, um, I don't know, there, there's something really lovely, I think, about the idea that life is communicating with us. And, yeah. you know, when you said this idea of I'm listening now, and even before, you know, almost at the very start, when you mentioned the idea of empathy and from obviously listening to guests and listening to different stories, j just out of interest, when you mentioned that moment there where you reflected on, wow, I've put an extra year into this, into this company um, and then noticing um, where that year was being taken from, what was that kind of realization like for you? Oh, well, that was, a, that was life changing. Um, and, and it, 
and I, I share this like this moment where my son so the and, and just to put this in context because you know when people see uh oftentimes you're doing podcasts you have a book and they kind of go oh it was well for that person you know so it, it wasn't always so what happened and professional rugby so we earned really good money playing professional rugby unfortunately most of us lost it in my generation because we had invested heavily in property you know right. bricks and mortar is the best place to put your money many many rugby players of my generation lost all the wealth they had accumulated and they weren't i mean these guys weren't uh they were just normal people we all were we we played rugby anyway and then all of a sudden we were made professional we're like on wow we can't believe they're paying us for this so and then and the, the game has moved on a hell of a lot since then it was a startup basically back then but it, so then when i retired i retired into the 2008 recession had just my the house that we lived in was worth half what I paid for it. It was no longer fit for us, as in we'd outgrown it. We moved into a rental property, and all the time I was building this career. So I felt I had to work every hour I could. I was coaching then as well, a rugby team and playing for them, player coach to earn money really to actually make up for paying for a mortgage that on a house that was worth half what I paid for it. And then had to rent another place, renting out the other place. So it right. was like crazy times. And this is what I mean. Like you're you kind of go, I got through that. So that was a that was a deep trough I was in. So you can get through those moments, but when you're in them, man, you don't feel you can barely see the crest of the next wave. You you because all you see is the water all around you. But I remember a key key moment so around this time um i started to get a mentor importantly i got a mentor a guy called mick carney he's 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 he is the manager of the irish team now the irish rugby team brilliant guy and i was telling him about the career that i wanted in the future which is actually the career i have now i have it all on paper the goals and he's like kind of going what do you want to be doing going talking to at an event that's uh are you sure you're able to do that are you sure you're able to write all this stuff right <laughs> and it's great i mean that's it's like almost 10 years ago it's 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 crazy when you look back on these things but i remember one day at home in the rental house and my son my older son at the time he was my, I don't think we even had the baby at that stage. He was probably three. I remember in his little room and all his toys everywhere. And he loves me coming home to play with him and, and you know, play with his teddies and all that kind of stuff. And I remember being there physically and having my phone beside me and checking messages. Because this is what I'm saying. You're stru stuck in that stress mode of, Oh, there might be an email for me. I better answer it. And you're kind of going fighting fires all the time. But that's that's your doing by the you're accepting that to be the reality. I think like as in yeah, your environment might your business environment might be toxic or whatever it might be, but you still have a choice not to do that. Yeah. Because by responding, then people expect you to respond more. You kind of go no, no. I, I'm five thirty. I'm six six p.m. I'm done. I don't answer an email after that time. So anyway, Josh, then I'm, I'm checking an email like this. I'm supposed to be playing with him and a little tiny hand comes up, grabs my hand just gently that's holding the phone. And he goes, Daddy, being on your phone is not playing with me. Oh, oh right. man, I was like, my heart broke. And I was like, I nearly smashed the phone. <laughs> I was so angry with my, not myself, just what I'd let happen. 
and that was actually the moment i i i do remember that being the defining moment and i went i am out of here and then i went six months later i was gone from that job and i and i by the way i didn't just land i went through a couple of went to even worse place afterwards right <laughs> and then out of there went to a consultancy did three years there went to another consultancy and, and what i was trying to do was b- pick up the skills that i felt i didn't have to go out on my own and then when i felt i had enough of the these capabilities and beautifully what happened was i had so I work now as a culture and organizational consultant, essentially. But I have both the the frameworks for innovation and change and culture from the different consultancies I work for. But most consultants don't have scar tissue of what it's like to work in those organizations. And I worked in high-stress commercial organizations, which was I'm very grateful for. I learned a hell of a lot from. But I also worked in a large bureaucratic governmental organization which was highly toxic and i am grateful for that because if if i didn't do it i would not know what people are going through and you can talk with all the books and all the language and all the frameworks you like but until you experience it you cannot help because you don't know what it's like to actually implement things you don't know what the resistance from those places is so that's all the that's what I mean about the book. The book is written in that scar tissue of all those experiences, including all the the sports one. It's not a sports book, but it's all those things mixed together and kind of go, look, there's, there's actually universal principles behind all these different experiences and lives that I've had. And they are not new. <laughs> they span right back into ancient texts. They span into different parts of the world, different cultures, but they, they're always the same. It's, it's kind of fascinating though. the, um, you know, when you mentioned earlier as a kid, uh, looking at, um, looking at people going to church and realizing that it wasn't just about showing up on a Sunday and reciting prayers or, 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 you know, listening to a sermon, it's how do you live the, live the experience. And I, and I think what I really enjoy about a lot of uh, of your writing is clearly you've read a hell of a lot and I'd love to know how you do and maybe that's another conversation how you read that much um, but there always seems how is this how is this my practical experience or my own practical wisdom which I think is a a beautiful way of marrying these things or making it relatable and not another academic interpretation of of something well, that's great to hear because that's actually the goal of my writing is, and I I, I think in metaphor as you can as you can yeah, see. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you ask me a question, I start talking about water and baths, and you're going, what, <laughs> "Where is he going with this?" So that, but that's actually how my mind works. And when when you read widely, I, like I try and read eclectically in in that that they're just not all from the same source. I. You, you spot metaphor everywhere. You're like mm. my latest blog was about, I call it corporate inflammation. So it was about the f- fact that when you have inflammation in the body, it's a message to go, there's something wrong here. And I was like, on what we do is we dumb down that message usually with some type of SAID, the, the non-steroidal anti-inflammatories, those drugs like ibuprofen, or we put ice on it immediately to stop it. But actually, its job is important. It, it's actually saying, hey, look, there's a problem here. You've got to deal with it. 
And also it needs that, and this is really important for the Kintsugi thing, it needs the moment of pain because by having the pain, the brain kind of goes, okay, I better send you certain anti antioxidants and uh, certain chemicals in order so you can heal again and actually the scar tissue can layer a new layer of, of tissue there. And, and without that, it won't regenerate. And I was like, kind of going, that's exactly what happens in life. We, we have these messages. We have like these sensations in our mind and it's kind of going, oh, this isn't right for you. You shouldn't be doing it. And it's almost like the, your feelings don't speak the same language as your brain hmm. and the feelings come from a different place and they just don't communicate correctly. And then we try and shut them up with maybe alcohol or Netflix binges or whatever it might be instead of actually listen to what is the problem. And then the same thing goes for an organization. You have people in there calling out there's problems. And instead of listening to them, what do we do? We shut them up. And sometimes we actually move them on because they're, we see them as troublemakers. And, and that's the way my mind works is just the, the metaphor being so important. And to answer quickly your question about the reading, I am a terribly slow reader. I, I the way I read is I, I read, I take notes. I have like multiple, like I have like 300 articles in, in draft all the time at any one stage. And I'll kind of go, oh, that's really interesting for that idea. I've had, oh, and, that's, and, I'll, and I'll constantly be throwing bits and pieces over here and there and there. And then maybe five years later, I'll pick up an old draft and go, oh, that's perfect for the show I have this week. I'll finish it. And uh, so th then I deeply learned the work. But I actually, I've created, uh, and this is what I'm saying about my mentor, Mick, nearly 10 years ago, all those things I, I had hoped for have come through and, and I'm so grateful for that because I actually now read as part of my job. It's an important aspect of my job and I make time for it. And I, I, I'm extremely grateful for that, actually having the time to read, like that's it, that's a privilege. And having the ability to read as in, I know how difficult that is on the attention spans for people, but I've actually developed that skill through the writing and all those other things, eventually it's come. I, I can only imagine, um what a gratifying experience it must be to look back on that experience with your mentor and, and 10 years later, seeing so many of these things come to fruition, but clearly with a certain level of um, dedication and application and, and just even a, a, a shifting in mindset and a, and a moving and a, or a shifting with life as well. It, it just seems, well, I'm sure it wasn't always a state of flow or something like that. It, it, it seems like it just may have risen and uh, risen and fallen and ebbed uh, as you move from one point to the next. Look, Aidan, just conscious of the, the time here and, and look, just with all that you've shared in terms of even opening up, but what am I here to, what am I here to do? What am I here to learn? Um, realizing things like empathy um, and serving people are so important. Ideas like really seeing the value in your own work. And, you know, you mentioned this idea of people asking you about the podcast and, and how do you get a sponsor? No, you're doing things for the wrong reason. Put the value into why you're doing it. Understand that. Then this, like, you know, a, a really kind of very kind of wide lens, it seems to be in terms of just appreciating the context of life, the highs and lows, the the moments where, you know, appreciating the cracks and see where that will bring you next. That it's not just this, looking for a series of winnings in life. It's like, how do I actually flow with this? How do I get comfortable with the the high point of the wave and the, the low point of the wave as well? But then this really 
I don't know, this curious nature of almost seeing the signs in life, seeing seeing what your environment is telling you, like closely, really closely listening to life and, you know, the importance of letting go of just wanting to be right all the time. What's the win here? The importance even there you just mentioned of just the importance of guides, mentors, and I'm sure you, you know, you're, you're paying that forward in your own work and the stories that you're breaking down and the importance of metaphors and multiple lenses. Just to, to ask you the final question, which I, I always ask my guests, which is, uh, what is a good life for you, Aidan? A good life for me is one where I feel I've contributed something beyond myself. I've risen, like I've raised good children so that the, the next generation is better than, than my generation, which wasn't bad, but I just mean that you've, you've contributed something to the next generation. So then they contributed something to the next generation as well. And that you have instilled that DNA in them that they feel that that's what they should do. And then actually things just get better. There's a saying in rugby that you always leave the jersey in a better place and it's not your jersey. And I actually think of that in a way for life is that you you leave whatever environment you occupied or whatever influence you had, you leave that environment or those people that you interacted with in a better place and that they are always happier to see you walking into a room than walking out of it. <laughs> <laughs> But there's a, there's a great saying, I was thinking about, you know, a saying, there's a guy called Thomas Merton, and uh, he wrote a line, he said, the, it was something like this, so don't quote exactly, but the meaning of life is that life is like a jewel that you have to pull up from the bottom of the sea, and it has all this kind of junk on it, etc. But ultimately, you have to actually bring it up there and see what the what the true meaning of life is and really figure out what you are. I love that concept. I love the concept of even the idea that I think it was Michelangelo that there's there's a, a statue inside the stone. My job is to remove all the outside junk in order to get to it. And I think that's part of part of life is the 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 toil. Like I think that's what the struggle means. It means you gotta do work. It won't do itself. And for anybody considering something or stuck, you got to do the work. Like you, yeah, you have the vision, but the the universe doesn't go, yeah, sure, well done on your vision. <laughs> it's like <laughs> if you had the vision, then you got to do all the work to get to the vision. Then the vision is just like this gravitational force that helps you get there. But you got to do the work. I mean, to your point, you know what this is like. It's a Friday here. Most people are out, maybe in the pubs or whatever. You're doing this work. I'm doing my work. And I think that that doesn't go astray as long as as long as it is your thing and the universe doesn't keep going. No, this isn't your thing, man. And uh, like I have not missed a week writing in since I started like seven years, not missed one even on holidays. When I'm going on holidays, I pre prepare my my article, haven't missed the show one week in all those times. And I just think that you you get back then for that kind of commitment to something as long as it's your thing. Yeah. Aiden, um, look, I've, I've enjoyed the hell out of this conversation. Uh, so much of what you said, I think is, uh, either resonant or inspirational as well. So look, I'm, I'm very grateful for you joining us here on, on the, what is a good life podcast. Uh, I wish you continued success with, with all your endeavors 
and I look forward to following your work as well. And when your daughter's 10, man, you look back and you'll see all that you've achieved then as well. So I look forward to seeing what happens then. Thank you very much, Aiden. Cheers, man.